better homes and dungeons. Today, whips or riding crops? An expression of self or something more? But before that, we're talking to Nick. Nick, how you doing? Good, how are you? Doing absolutely lovely. Thank you. Um, and everyone, don't worry. We're not talking about whips or riding crops at all. It's just... I mean, unless you want. But... Well, I'm... <laughs> it's my stupid joke and I'm sticking by it. It's the heel I'll die on. Fair enough. <laughs> um, Nick, part of me was to say introduce yourself, but that seems really, really rude. And I, I respect you and your work way too much to do to, to be rude to you ever. Um, Nick, can, can you tell us what you do? Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's not rude to ask me to introduce myself. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, I, um, I do a lot of different things. Wear many hats. Uh, mostly I do a lot of um, blogging on tabletop-related content. I also do a lot of uh, freelance writing and editing, mostly, um, in the same tabletop sphere. Uh, worked on a variety of projects, some of them personal that I've you know sort of taken care of on my own. Um, but most of it has been commissioned for other people and and the stuff they're working on. On occasion, I do a few other things. I do occasionally stream. Um, I do occasionally write a little bit of fiction here and there. Um, but mostly, as I've said, tabletop and generally a lot of blogging. Excellent. Um, are, are we allowed to ask what are the the the, the most well known projects you've worked on? would of course be Swordsfall and the Witch's Primer, I believe? Yes, that's correct. Um, so I've um, been working on Swordsfall for a few months now, not especially long. So I actually am one of the more recent additions um, to that, but I am an editor there. Um, I do work for the World Anvil page um, to keep sure that's up to date and make sure it's, it's more presentable and readable for people. Um, and then on Witch's Primer, I did the full suite of editing um, for that Kickstarter project in general. I was working with Eva Brown on that one. She is fantastic, is a great designer, and has lots of good ideas. And I'm really excited for that to come out um, because it's, it's right up my alley of creepy and weird. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's just great. And it, it's funny because it's, it's such a unique project, I think. It, it does make me think, um, because you also designed the game Good Cop, Bird Cop, um, mm -hmm. that we played quite a while ago now. Way, way too long ago. It's been way too long since we've had you on. Yeah, it's been a while. Which has been a lot more. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, that being said, you you were contacted by Nick, uh, the other Nick, um, Nerd Metal? Um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, I, I, I yeah. Like Nick. Cool. Um, now, you, as I was saying, um, you've just made me think, man. I really should have put some cooler Cthulhu elements in that game of Good Cop, Bird Cop. If I'd known that the, the creepy horror thing was your thing, I, I would have done something. But you know. Oh no, it, it's no trouble at all. Because again, yeah, I mean, I, I really do. Bird puns. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, re I really do like the investigative element of it too. I mean, don't get me wrong, horror is definitely my wheelhouse, and I love it. But I'm down for a good mystery any day, and that's yeah. why Call of Cthulhu jives with me so well, as opposed to other horrors too, because it's got a little of both. On that subject, I do have one of your solo uh, Call of Cthulhu horror things. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be. I look. The the problem is with my life, I'll buy something, and think yeah, I'm gonna go home and enjoy that, and then mm -hmm. children and projects get in the way, 
And I think, I just need to make an hour. I just need to make an hour. Yeah. No, Josh, you're not going to give yourself an hour. You're just not. <laughs> well, see, that's that's the great thing, too. because So uh, the adventure you're referring to is Alone Against the Tide. Um, it's the... Yep, because um, it's the only solo one I have published right now. Um, no, that's fine. It's fine. I, mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I've got multiple projects. Who's to say what else I'm working on? Um, but um, that one was definitely one of my earlier projects, but it was a lot of fun. I put a lot of effort into it. Um, and the great thing about it, though, like you're saying, oh, it's hard to find you know, even an hour to put aside for this. Um, and that's why I, one of the things that drove me towards – producing a solo adventure is because, you know, sometimes you can't find a few hours to sit down with a group of people to play a, a full session, or even if you don't have a group of people to play with. Um, so picking up a solo thing is much easier to do, especially since, I mean, if you know, if you know the system, I don't know how, how familiar you are with Call of Cthulhu, but uh, the quick start rules. Oh, go ahead. I would say my familiarity is I've listened to a lot of how we roll. Okay. Yeah. So that, just having that basic level of familiarity is really all you would need because, again, the quick start rules are, um, I want to say, like 45 pages in PDF form, and, and about half of that is, is a pre-written adventure. So you're really looking at about like 20 pages of, of content, and most of that can be skimmed off anyway. Um, you really only need to read about 10, 15 pages of, of stuff uh, to get a grasp, a grasp of how to make a character and how to play the game. So... And the quick start rules are a simple read, and making a character based off of that takes maybe half an hour, if 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 you're you know still trying to learn it. Um, I've gotten to the point where I can make a character in 15, 20 minutes if I need to, um, but if you're trying to learn it, maybe you need half an hour. And then the beautiful thing about playing a solo game like that, where it's all entry based, all you would have to do is remember the number of what entry you're on. So you don't have to sit down for a full hour to play the game. You could, you know, play, you know, 10 minutes here or there when you get it. Um, just last week I played um, Alone Against the Flames on stream for uh, some of the stuff I do, uh, which is another Call of Cthulhu solo adventure, very similar to Alone Against the Tide. It took me an uh, hour and 15 minutes to run the whole thing through. That's pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to say, um, ever since my, my my oldest boy got to about eight and um, he mm. now have a, a nephew in the house um, who's 15, getting a group together for Dungeons & Dragons is, is not really ever been easier. <laughs> it's like, do you guys right. want to play? And they're like, yes, great. Yeah, it's a great um, way to keep them entertained for a few hours too, I imagine. Uh, it is. I mean, we're, we're playing through a kobold press thing and... At yeah, the moment, you, you mentioned that. I, I love Cobalt Press. I love what they do. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. It is. Um, what we're doing, though, at the moment is we're playing in about, like, 40-minute periods. Mm. Usually because that's about all the time we have before someone has to go to bed. That's fair. So, you know, it, it's working pretty good. But I, I, I will find, like, having run the podcast and whatnot, for me, about 60 minutes is a cool way to run a pod uh, uh, an adventure not a podcast because then yeah. people don't get bored they don't get tired there's no fatigue that sets in and i, th I think like what you've been saying you can have a really good experience with just those 60 minutes to an hour and a half and i think yeah that's great. i definitely that agree produce that kind of content 
Mm-hmm. I just need to make myself play it. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get there. Oh, I, I will make me get there. I will make that happen. If not, let me know. I'll make you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, 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 I just need to, you know, tell my wife, hey, look, make me do this. Make me do this with all the things I intend to do it with, and then we'll, then we'll see what happens. Oh, and by the way, now that I think about it, um, you know, there are pre-made characters. You can even shave off the half hour or so you would need to, to make a character. I mean, that I include one in the, in the back of that uh, adventure, and then you can find a bunch online and stuff, too. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So if you're, if you're comfortable running a pre-generated character, I mean, that could take you even less time. There you go, people. And, and it's what, four, five dollars on? Um, so actually, uh, Alone Against the Tide is uh, listed as pay what you want. Um, I do recommend, you know, about five dollars um, because it did take a lot of effort and time. And I do appreciate the donations, but that was an earlier project. And I understand at, at the time that, you know, maybe it's not up to standard because I was just starting out. Um, I do, looking back on now, I do think, you know, an honest appraisal, it's actually pretty good as far as I, you know, not to my own horn, but as far as I'm concerned, I think I did pretty well with it. Wait, but at the time, I was, let, let, I was let's less. Be honest, sure. You've been picked up for some pretty decent projects. I think you're allowed to toot at this point. That's that's fair. That's fair. But I, I, I still <laughs> I still feel like I have a lot to learn no matter what, and I'm trying to build those skills and, and grow as time goes on. There are a lot of projects that I take on, and I, I look at it, and I'm like, Am I ready for this? Do I know what I'm doing? Not really, but I'm gonna figure it out as I go. <laughs> and well, I Nick, think I Nick, if that's your attitude, then yeah, you're ready. I like I like to hope so at least. Cool. Now, Nick, um, one of one of the things I want to know, um, and this is in the little question sheet that I put down here, um, mm-hmm. well, I mean. I, the question I asked last week of Beebs was, what's the hardest part of getting a product to market? You're, you're involved in this kind of thing where the idea is, okay, here design, here's a design. Let's make this something that's viable for people that, mm-hmm. will, that will make them actually want to buy it and, and put some money into it and get a level of enjoyment equal to or better than the money they put down. Right. Given that what you see is probably projects that are in a very, very raw form, what are the mm-hmm. kind of things you'd say, guys – here are the things you need really need to think about. Okay. So this is honestly something I struggle with. Um, marketing in a traditional sense of I have a product, let me sell it to people. The actual act of, of getting that transaction to occur is not my strong suit. I'm not a, I'm not a salesperson at heart. Um, but I do, I do have to pick up those skills and I'm learning and I'm working on it and trying to leverage that. However, I do think a lot of it that you need to work, you need to focus on, um, comes in the earlier stages of the work. So, seeing as I do a lot of things in raw form, um, you need writers for one. You need someone to, you know, create the idea and then draft it up and get it into a a decent enough raw form that it can be worked with. Usually, this is the person who comes up with the idea, the designer, you know, who who floats the the concept out there. Um, but not always. Sometimes you're going to have multiple writers on a project, and that's going to mean coordinating them and getting them to work together and not, you know, um, write things that are contradictory. And then once Can you I have your writing how down, easy yeah, is go ahead. That? Like, I, I get, for, for some weird reason, I just envision, like, trying to organize writers is very similar to trying to herd cats. 
Um, it's not dissimilar, but I, <laughs> I don't think it's... So, again, a lot of this comes from my side of things as an editor. I actually do a lot more editing than I do writing nowadays. Um, and a lot of... Basically, I, I've run, run into two kinds of people who write. Mm-hmm. You have one who don't necessarily know what they how they want they don't know how to get what they want and they're writing towards what they think works for that mm-hmm. and then you have those who know what they want and they're trying to write towards it so the first group are people who to to make it simpler you have someone who is set in stone and someone who's not the first group doesn't really they're not married to their ideas. They're okay with taking change. They're okay with um, taking feedback. They're okay with things being adjusted. Then you have some who just aren't, who when you as an editor come to them or as a fellow writer come to them or as a project manager come to them and you say, hey, it would be better if this changes or if you, you say this needs to be done differently so something else can work later on in the project. When you have those people who push back against that, who get defensive, who say, but this is how I envisioned it, and this is what I want to do with it, and who don't take that compromise, or they feel like their idea is good as it is in its raw form and doesn't need any further refinement after a rough draft, those are the people that make it hard to work with. Um, thankfully, I've, I've had more people who are willing to work than who aren't, but yeah, it, it's it's... In general, it's not too bad because everyone comes forward with new ideas, and as long as you are open to their ideas, things are going to work great. But they have to be open to your ideas too. Okay. I mean, is there an element of conflict resolution to what you do? Um, on my side of things, generally not. Um, I again, I, I don't. I'm not leading any projects right now, um, nor have I. Um, to my knowledge, at least. <laughs> I, I definitely had to, to step in and help out a little bit now and again, but I've never really led the project um, for any of these things. Um, I do say, though, that, again, having speaking from my experience as an editor, I do have to be diplomatic about how I put forward my suggestions sometimes to essentially keep problems from cropping up in the first place. Um, so, so I assume things like, you know, hey, Treat people decently. It, it'll, it'll work out better for you. That's an approach I imagine works right. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking. And if it doesn't work with somebody, yeah, and if you if you treat them well and they just treat you like, you know. Um, it's okay. We're, we're not a children's podcast. I think the beat okay. is joke. If they treat you like shit anyway. There we then, go. <laughs> um, thank you. I was, trying, I was trying to find an appropriate self-censor and couldn't do it. Um, but if they treat you like shit and you're trying your best, then they're really not people you want to work with anyway. Yeah, I'd say that's, I I think we've all worked with someone who has been not your, not your average level of just disaster person. Right. And I, and I think it's, I think it's important. Would you say, how important would you say it is to know when to walk away from a thing and go, you know what? Nah, here's, here's your deposit. See you, mate. Nah. Um, honestly, it's. It's very important. Um, I think at first, it's probably not something that's going to occur to a lot of people. If you're just starting off as a designer or working with other people in a group, you're probably not going to think about it. You're probably going to say, okay, I'm here. 
I'm going to do my thing now because I'm here. Who knows if I'm going to be here tomorrow? Mm. Um, but the longer you get in it, the longer you start doing things, um, the more you have to realize you have to pick and choose um, what you're going to work on and who you're going to work with because you only have so much time and building relationships with people who are going to ultimately end up being problem people later on the line that you you know are, are going to continually clash with or that are going to not help you out down the road as much as you're helping them. You need to make sure that you are able to evaluate um, the health of relationships and know when to walk away from them if they're being unhealthy. Um, can I ask, what, what, what is your red line? When you, you know, you, you've been on a project, say, for a couple of months, um, mm -hmm. th there's been a little bit of, say, okay, you know, look, let's change the, you know, we need to look at this, we need to look at that. Would this change work for you guys? If you've been, say, embedded in a project for, say, a month or so, okay. wh where is your red line that says, this person is not mm -hmm. worth my time, nor the gray hairs they are going to give me? Um, yeah, so I thankfully have not hit that point. I have, I, I, no, don't get me wrong. I've gotten close a couple of times, um, but I have not hit that point. So I don't know where the line is until I've crossed it. Um, I will say though, that some of the things that, <laughs> well, no, I mean, just, no, you're no, not no, going to no, no, no. no, just in the context of American politics. Um, sorry. Yeah, I, I that's had a fair. Moment. No, that's fair. Um, but, um, it's good to know what sets you off and what you can and can't deal with. Like I said, there are certain personality types that I know I don't work very well with. Mm -hmm. Those who get very defensive about their work and um, aren't receptive to change is one thing that doesn't work well with me. Um, there are other certain things that I don't like to deal with otherwise, certain topics I, I want to either avoid or I want to get more involved with and people who either push me towards things I don't like or push me away from things I do like are people I tend to not want to work with either. That's pretty fair. So I it's mean, it's just know your know yourself and know what your your strong suits are and what your um, what buttons other people can push around you. That's all fair. I remember um I was listening to and I don't remember I heard this. I think it was on a podcast like Cracked or something, but they were mm -hmm. discussing um screenwriting, and they said you know when you submit a script, and you say you know look send it back to me with the notes. And they actually do that and they send you a bunch of notes and you're like, but these are the best things that I did. Right. Why? And they said, but what's worse is when they send it back with no notes, just one saying, no, it's great. Like, but. Right. No. And honestly, that's, again, being that I do a lot of stuff in the editing role, I'm the person who sends back the notes. Um, so for me, I, I know full well that. If you're sending back no notes, there's nothing of value gained. You're you're basically just rubber stamping and saying, "Okay, proceed," because I don't care enough to actually dig into it and do the work. Um, so, so you've never had a perfect project come across your desk? No, I mean, I I have never had anything perfect come to me. I I've had some things that I, I look at and like, you know, there are very few flaws here. Um, I could count the number of of you know revisions that we need to make on one hand. I I have had one or two of those, but you know, by and large, you're going to see a lot of markup if you hand me a project. That's that's just how I roll. And thankfully, though, like you're saying, the first the first group of people who are like, but I didn't want to see all of these notes. I just wanted, you know, 
I don't know what I wanted. Everything's great anyway. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be the person who gives you all the notes. And generally, I'll explain why I'm giving you the notes. So that way you can self-correct. Because the more you self-correct, the less correcting I have to do later on. So essentially kind of training your clients to, not, not to not need you, but to need you in more interesting ways, you'd say. Yeah, I, I do think that's the case. And, and also it, it's not necessarily just about um, training them so much as it is to explain to them why I'm, I think the change needs to be made. Because again, a lot of people are of the mind that this is great. It doesn't need to be changed. And whenever I can put it into context for them, they're like, okay, now it maybe makes sense. Or if, if they think my context is complete bullshit, they can say, this goes entirely against what I wanted. And I, I don't think your context aligns with the, the vision of the project, in which case then I correct and I change what I conceptualize the project as. Hmm. And then I can give better edits for them. Okay. So on that note where you're saying, look, you, you kind of got to know what the, con what the concept or the context of the project is. Um, Absolutely. I, I was going to ask how important is that as, as like a starting point, you've just said absolutely in such a way that makes me think it's really important, Josh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 110%. <laughs> there is, if, if I could give no other piece of advice, I would say that knowing what the project is, is the most important thing. Is there a chance we could ask and say, look, can you give us a good example? And can you give us a not good example? Oh, sure. Without, absolutely. Without naming, um, we don't need to name and shame just to kind of, okay, he, he's a rough yeah. idea of a good, he's a rough idea of a bad. Okay. So the idea of a bad one, and I, I don't necessarily mean the project itself is bad. I, I, I think the communication was more bad than anything. Um, so I had a project I worked on um, where it was sort of, to, to, to put it in, in a weird way, it was sort of an inception level of projects. So there was like the the game itself had sort of a game within it, mm -hmm. so to speak. And okay. so trying to use terminology around this was incredibly difficult because basically you would have one set of terms referring to the meta game and also referring to the the in game um and is, they, is this one of those um you know hey dog i heard you like to game so here now you can game while you game um not quite that bad no not exactly it, it was okay. it was it's more of a the the language used um around it so I'm always a big fan of defining your terms and letting people know what we're actually talking about so that way we can have a meaningful conversation. And the terms were not properly uh, defined and there was a lot of back and forth, especially in the early stage of the project, where I didn't necessarily know what I was doing because it wasn't adequately explained to me. And then when I explained my reasoning to them back about it and how it had been presented to me, it did not align very well. And it took a lot of uh, effort to bring that back into to alignment. And then as far as a good project, um, one that, that works really well. Um, let me think about that for a minute. I, I think a lot of, a lot of that was, okay, actually I, I have a, a good one for that. Yeah. So without naming any names, um, 
knowing the designer very well and knowing the type of project they wanted. Um, because if I, if, I, if I go into a project and someone I don't know gives me this, this project and I take it on and I think, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in here, I'm gonna do this. I can work, don't get me wrong. But if I know the person who's giving the project, I know them at least a little bit personally. I've you know uh, listened to them talk a bit. I've you know spoken with them before. I can get a feel of what they want out of what they're writing. And so me, this is my biggest principle here. Um, how do I how do I even word it? Um, I, I think it's that context of like I know what I know who this person is, what they're about. Therefore, it's easy for me to essentially contextualize their ideas around around the, I guess, identity I've constructed for right. them due right. to that and exposure it's, it's, I've had. Yeah, and it's not even it's because I, I know some some people might think about that as sort of like a yes man uh, way, but it's not it's not that at all. It's knowing what the 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 designer wants out of the project, so that way you can help them realize the vision they have. A lot of people who will come into a project either being hired on as an artist or an editor or you know whatever else or consultant, they'll come in and say, all right, here's what you have. Here's what I want to do with it, which is not what they should be doing at all. Generally, if you're coming on to someone else's project, you should say, okay, what do you as the project leader want and how can I help you get it? No, that sounds pretty, that sounds pretty fair. So, I mean, when doing edit work, um, so, so what you're kind of saying, if, if I understand you correctly, and, and please correct yeah. me if, if I have this wrong, um, and I'm just wondering if I should be paying you now, given that I've pretty well described your job. Um, oh, fuck it, I've forgotten where I'm going. Well done, Josh. Twit. It's okay. I've, I've, I've forgotten where I've been like three times in this whole conversation already. It's fine. <laughs> We, we just need we just need to wrangle it back so i mean yeah when you say look as an editor putting that ego aside yes fairly important you'd say to be able to say look i understand that what i'm about to receive is not directed at me as a personal person but me as a professional yes um if you're working with an editor um you need to be able to not take things personally or at the very least, you need to be able to manage those feelings when you have them. Um, and when you are the editor, you need to be able to, A, know that someone might take it personally, so present it in such a way that it lessens the impact of that. And B, to give it to them in a way that is centered on them and not on you. No, that's pretty fair. I mean, I think... My, my, my job is sales. That, that is my real-world job. Um, right. And a lot of the time, it's, ver it's very much in a similar kind of thing to what you're saying, where it's like, my needs have to be secondary to what the client's after. Because if I take care of the client's needs, my needs are going to get taken care of. Yep. But at the same time, if someone says, hey, Josh, I really don't appreciate this thing about your company or these particular products that you guys do, I know they're mm -hmm. not saying, Josh, you're a terrible person. That's just not what I'm about. Right. And that's perfectly fine. Sometimes sometimes the interests of the consumer and the, the developers don't always align, and that's okay. That's one thing I've, I've been sort of slowly coming to terms with is the fact that 
I'm going to create things and it may not draw a large audience because not everyone will be interested in it. But for some people, it is the right thing. And when working with other people on their projects, that's part of it too. It's knowing what what sort of audience they're speaking to and what they want, what the developer wants out of the project because they're trying to create a project that appeals to a certain group of people. That's right. I mean, to, to maybe backtrack slightly, have you ever had a project where you just look at what they say and you're just like, no. Nah. Oh, I'm, I'm so blocking, many times. I'm blocking, I'm blocking this. I'm blocking this email. I am not only formatting this hard drive, I'm taking it outside and, and hitting it with a hammer. Um, so nothing to the point where I've had to, to block somebody or, or cancel out. Like I said, I haven't really had a red line experience, although I've gotten close once or twice. Um, well, actually, no, I take that back. Now that I think oh, okay. about it, there is Now we get to there the juicy stuff. One. Go on, Nick. Um, Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll be good. Well, that's, it was, it was, a, it was a different thing entirely. Um, but to, to answer your question first, before we dig into any of that, um, to answer your question, I have had some projects where um, I come forward with revisions to what they give me um, in doing the process of editing, and they come back with it and say, okay, here's, here's what we accepted about your edits, here's what we rejected about it, and give it your second pass. You know, go, go over another time you know, to make sure that everything's as it should be. And I, I know one project in particular where I, I went back through it, and the there were about half of the edits they rejected. Not because some of it was rejected reasonably, but about half of the edits rejected. I, I had to go back and basically recomment and say, "Hey, I know you rejected this the first time, but what you told me you wanted for this project, um, you want you want to listen to this, and I know you're probably not going to listen to it, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you you were making a mistake." Sounds pretty fair to me. I mean, it's it's almost like. Uh, okay, I've been, I've been sitting here li- listening to what you're saying, and part of me is like, you're paying a professional to do the job that you've paid them to do. Why let them do it. Not listen. <laughs> like, yeah, let them do yes. the job. Mm-hmm. I think we all want that, don't we? Right, and that's that's where I come from. It, it it's a lot of times people, and again, most people I've worked with are great. I have very very few complaints. Um, for most of the people I work with, um, especially the people who I've worked with multiple times, because um, I don't work with you generally if you you know, are a person I don't want to work with. Um, but you, you just get that form letter that says, hey man, look, I'm really sorry. I just got so much on right now. It's not that I don't want to. I just I just can't get it into my projects for, for the kind of timeline that you're looking at. I'm really mm-hmm. sorry. Bye. Right. Well, on, honestly, I mean, thankfully for me, I haven't had to you know say that sort of thing very often, most of the time, if, if a project, if I work with somebody and I don't like how the project plays out, I usually haven't been contacted a second time. And I, and I think that has less to do with me. And honestly, just there's, they're not working on another project. Usually because either the first project didn't go so well, and now they just drop off the face of, you know, creating for whatever reason, because they didn't like, you know, the reception of their project or, they just, for whatever reason, personal life gets in the way, whatever else. I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's all about to, to get a, a project to work well, you have to manage people's personalities. And even though I don't necessarily um, take care of the project management side of things, I still need to be aware of those um, personalities that people have so I know how to 
not set people off in the way that they don't need to be having their buttons pushed, and also to help out the project manager in such a way that their project is more successful. Sounds good, man. Now, um, we, we did have a question from someone mm -hmm. who I hope becomes a regular listener of um, this, um, hopefully not a train wreck. Um, this is asked by Derek Rose. Um, I'm having the most trouble right now coming up with names for cities. How do you come up with names? What sources of inspirations do you use? Nika, I'll let so, you field this one first. Yeah, that's it's a great question. Um, honestly, back when I first started blogging, and this is about two years ago, um, one of my first blog posts was actually on this very subject. So I have I have basically the response ready to go. Whenever I, I checked uh, this question um, on the the post you sent out, um, I'm like, all right, I know exactly where to look for my answers on this because I wrote it two years ago. <laughs> um, but to 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 look it up um, on my blog, that, that, that is a great way to tell people, hey, go check out my page. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's that's no, a, that's some that's an excellent level uh, marketing right there, Nick. No, absolutely. The, the, the reason why I have a blog is because I can tell everybody to check out my blog when they ask a question. There you go. And what's the name of that blog, Nick? Uh, it's it's draconic.com. So mm -hmm. D-R-A-C-O-N-I-C-K.com. It's very simple, very easy, just like the name of my handle. Um, but you can just go on there, search uh, the naming problem, or even just naming, type it in the search bar, hit click, and you're good to go. It'll be the first result. Um, so I have about five or six different tips for how to manage this. The first one is use translations and synonyms. So if I wanted to um, name a place in my world, right? And let's say I'm, I'm running, you know, typical medieval fantasy uh, type of role-playing game like D&D &D or whatever. Hmm. If I were doing a homebrew setting and I needed to name a city, um, I could look to, for example, Latin translations of word, um, like I, the example I use on that blog post, I have um, there was a city that was built around sort of this this great library, and so it was a big repository of knowledge and and scholarly learning, and so I named the city Veritas for the Latin word of truth because books should contain a lot of knowledge and truth and understanding. So I didn't necessarily go straight for a, a translation of library or book because that would be a little too on the nose, but you know working some ways around that. Um, next sort of tip I would I would go for is there are random name generators all across online. Um, you can find random tables, which I'm a huge fan of, um, which are great. And you can use those if you're either working on um, just like your own home games, you can prep a list. So maybe you don't want to have a, the generator pulled up all the time um, whenever you need one name. Run the, run the generator, take down like 50 names, just write them all in one list, and then whenever you use that name, cross it out. It's done. Now it's been used. Um, other than that, sometimes you don't need to name things. You can refer to cliches and avoid proper nouns. You could have um, some bandit boss in your world be only known as the shadow or the masked man, and that's all you need because they don't need a name. Other than that, I, I, I I'm think not sometimes we throw out. Um... I think sometimes we throw out cliches and tropes to our detriment. Right. I, I'm no, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of subverting uh, cliches and all that, but there's a place for everything. And especially if you're if you're just running something simple and campy, it's great to to make use of them. Um, but the last tip I just want to throw out there, 
is don't be afraid to just smash some random syllables together and see what comes up. Um, <laughs> the the capital city of this of this continent is Corthran or um, Vothrek or um, whatever else. It doesn't matter. You can a lot of times people will self critique and they'll think I'm going to sound stupid when I say some word that doesn't exist. Hmm. Just do it anyway, and you'll you'll get something. I mean, you could potentially just look around at, at your desk and go, okay, this is the town of Sandwich. Yeah, I, I mean, eating. that's, no, I, I, I totally get you. And I've heard other people use that advice too, but that's one I, I honestly forget about a lot. It's good advice. It's, if you need something on the fly, look to your environment. I, I, will, I will confess, um, a lot of the names I come up with are puns. Yeah, that or too. references. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we had a lot of fun when we were playing good bird, uh, sorry. Yeah. Good cop, bird cop. Um, yep. I think they were in Brooklyn. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Oh, where was it? No, that, that was, that's right. It was. it was, no, Ethan said, I should have called it Brooklyn nine, nine. Yeah. I remember that joke. I, yeah. I thought it was, uh... <laughs> that was terrible. Mm. It, it was not as good as your hunt and pick. Right. So that was, that was, <laughs> I'm still going on that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> It, admittedly, one of the um, the cities in the kind of cowboy version of Curse of Strahd homebrew thing that I'm doing yeah. is called Hold'em City. Hey, it works. The, there is a there is an upcoming joke, and I don't want to ruin it for people who are enjoying that. But uh, mm -hmm. when you meet the mayor, you might know who this man is. Okay. Yeah. He's not going to be a stranger. Not even a red-headed one. That, that not sure I get the West, reference. No, but... it's a country western music gag. It's it's not very okay. good, and the only reason I know about it is because of The Simpsons. Um, so yeah, I I I cheat. I will use puns. I will use references. Um, right. The city of Oatville, for example, where they start, is actually mm -hmm. based on a cowboy movie. I think it's from Paint Your Wagon. Um. I cheat. I steal. I do what Terry Pratchett did when he was alive and writing. Mm -hmm. He cheated. He stole. And he said, that's what I do. That's most of what I do. Yeah, that's a lot of it. Um, I will point out, though, that if you are writing a work for publication or any sort of commercial sense, maybe you don't steal because that at some points becomes copyright infringement. But Steal, but do it, do it in a way that you're not stealing. Yes, there are, there are ways yeah. to, you know, to... It's not a lightsaber, it's a laser sword. Yeah, it's fine. Exactly. It's 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 a it's a focus. It's a light blade. No, no, no. Can't get away with that. Um, it's a photon katana. There you go. Yeah, there you go. There there are some times where you can get around it, but you know you you do want to be conscious of what else exists out there and not step on any toes. Yeah, he's not a, he's not a Jedi. He's a Chozong. Yeah, that'll do. Yep. Yeah, because I, I think we all know where the term Jedi came from, and I think we're all pretty okay with that. Um, Nick, to, to kind of um, bring this back to things like D&D &D and TTRPGs, when you, when you sit down to play, you said you, you like horror. What are your yeah. favorite kind of go-to horror games if you had to initiate someone in horror? Um, so again, I am a huge fan of Call of Cthulhu. I cannot um, stress that enough because it is, it's just right up my alley. I know there's some problems with it in, in, in terms of genre and origins. Um, yes, you know, HP Lovecraft had 
issues. Was a was a horrible, terrible racist, and there's there's no point in you know trying to hide that fact. Um, but I you know I'm a fan of of cosmic horror as a genre, despite that. Um, and there's, it's, I I like the genre. I like the the style of storytelling of. Uh, mysteries that aren't really un- aren't really well understood and you know of doing investigative work and you know that 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 marrying of of mystery and horror is very much where I like to be um but if you're not a fan of of that I do also like um Delta Green is very similar um but it's also a good a good system um for other forms of horror I have played a little bit of um of Vampire the Masquerade, that's story, the storyteller system, um, you know, the werewolf and changeling and all that. I haven't played many of the variants or anything, but also a neat, uh, neat setting um, has has some hangups too. But uh, you know, there are parts of it I do enjoy. That's also if you're looking to get immersed in horror tabletop as it is, it's kind of a staple you would need to at least engage with a little bit. Um, there's some other good indie games out there too, though, like uh, Dread. I haven't actually played, but I've looked through the rules, and it's a lot of fun. Um, or it looks like a lot of fun. I've heard only good things about it. Um, it's unique in that its resolution mechanic is not dice or cards or anything like that. It's actually a Jenga tower. Um, so I th- as I think I've heard of this one, and that sounds amazing. Yeah. So as the game goes on and your characters do things, if you're if you're able to successfully pull the block, then you basically succeed at your check or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, as you succeed, of course, the tower is going to get more unstable. So the tension sort of builds as you play the game because eventually that tower is going to come crumbling down. Things are going to go wrong, mm-hmm. um, which is a very unique way of doing things too. Um, but yeah, as far as as far as horror goes, I'll admit my interests are a little niche. I I, I tend to fall pretty closely into that psychological horror or cosmic horror. Um, I, I like supernatural horror a lot. So I, I tend I tend to go for things that are a little bit more on that creepy and weird side of the spectrum as opposed to things like, you know, um, serial killers or um, or more conventional horror. That's right. No, I mean, so so if you had to recommend, I mean, if you had to recommend to someone, okay, here's the game to cut your teeth on to get someone started down, down that horror pathway, you'd say Call of Cthulhu? Yes, um, not just nice. because of the flavor of it, but also because it's a very simple rule set to learn. It's D, it's D100 basically for everything. It's super easy. They have a, And another thing that's, that's highly undervalued in uh, tabletop games is having uh, either a quick start rule or a basic rule of some form that is free, easily available, quick to learn. Uh, I know a lot of games have moved towards doing it, but they're not necessarily the most elegantly executed. Like D and D technically has basic rules, but let's be honest, there's they're still like hundred pages long, and yeah, I'm sure it's I, to give, I, I think it's good there's options, um... but it's. It doesn't really it doesn't really lend itself well to learning. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I love Dungeons and Dragons very much. Yeah, um, but I love it enough that I can see the things that are like, all right, if you're sitting down with someone who's never played a game like this, and, and this is where it's like, okay, can you explain it to an eight year old? 
If yes, then you understand it. If no, eh, maybe go read the book again. Um, trying to explain to an eight-year-old, okay, here is what your character is all about. Here is what they can do. Yep. That that is tricky. And and my eight-year-old's decent. He's a he's a clever enough lad. Um. But it is still a thing where it's like, yeah, this has got a lot in it. Like, it, it could be I'm just aiming too low, maybe, or, or too high, I guess, maybe. Just saying, maybe I shouldn't be playing Dungeons & Dragons with an eight-year-old. Maybe play Power well, Rogers a lot more. But Well, first off, Power Rogers is great. Um, I and I have, a rev- I have a review of it on my blog if anyone's interested. Um, <laughs> you should talk to Beebs. He's great. Lovely fellow. Yeah. Stand-up mm-hmm. yeah. guy. Very pleasant person to speak with. Um, but yeah, so there are ways to simplify things. Like, I know, actually, I don't know if they're out yet, but I know, like, Wizards did release basically a simplified version of, of the, like, the player's handbook and stuff, specifically for younger kids to play with. Okay. Um, and there are also other games out there um, that are sort of, you know, D&D, but not, um, you know, to be a bit more simplified. Like, No Thank You Evil um, comes to mind. Um so there, there are games out there to shoot for that are more geared towards younger players, you know, power outage, of course. Um, but in general, I, I'm i okay with the games themselves being fairly complex. I don't mind rule density personally, although I, there are some issues with it. Um, but you should be able to give players a good and easy transition into the game. Um, I don't think games like D&D really hit the mark on that. Um, this is why you have people who come in and say, all right, if you're going to play D&D, they just throw the book at them and say, read the player's handbook. Or they, they refer you to videos online where other people have explained it and broken it down more simply and easily than official content has. Because official content's a little lacking. The first step you basically have is your basic rules, which can be free, but they're still huge and long and aren't easy for a learner. And then if you say, all right, we'll pick up a starter set, um, you know, that's still, it's just got the basic rules in it. Nothing different. Whereas if you look at for example, Call of Cthulhu. It has the quick start rules, which um, are free of, in a, to download online. And you can also pick up a starter set, which has them in it too. But again, it, it sort of coaxes you into it. And then the full rules aren't that much different than the quick start stuff or the the the, the stuff that's easy to learn. And that's another big thing for me too. I, I once put out there to a, um, a, a friend of mine who we used to do podcasts together, uh, Crystal from Board Game Blitz. I remember saying to her once, if you cannot fit the rules for your board game on a two-sided piece of A4 paper, you have not done your job very well as a designer. And she said, no. And it's not a hill I'm going to die on with my friend. Because it's like, no, I I love you too much as my friend to want to have that argument, but it's a belief I'm going to hold. (laughs) Right. But no, Um, I, I, I think... Potentially, you and I might have a, a level of agreement there, right? And so, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm okay with having longer rules at some point, but simplify as much as possible at the very least. Uh, there's well, a well, they should I, they should have got a better editor. Yeah, that too. That again, <laughs> editors the editor's job is to simplify things, make it easier for you. Um, this is why you should pay them and pay them well. I agree. <laughs> um, but there's a quote, and it 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 shames me that I don't remember who said it. But um, it, it goes, I'm sorry that I wrote you a 10-page letter. I didn't have time to write you a two-page letter. <laughs> nice. Which, which goes yeah. to say that it, you can, it doesn't matter how much you write because 
if you're just writing a bunch of drivel that, that is meaningless ultimately and could be more simply and easily and concisely explained in, you know, a fifth of the, of the length, you haven't done your job. No, I agree. At least not as well as you should have. Yeah, bre brevity is the soul of wit. Yes. And th there is there, there is a way to go too far with that. You can't oversimplify and lose some things. But on the whole, most things can be made more simple than they are. I agree. Uh, Nick, unfortunately, we will have to leave it there. Um, okay. I do want to hang out again with you at some point. Yeah, and, absolutely. And play something because I enjoyed running something for you, and I'd, I'd potentially love to run something for you again at some point if, if that's something that tickled your fancy. Yeah, definitely let me know. Um, if people want to contact you on Twitters, can they? Yes, um, you can find me on Twitter at Draconic Gaming. That is D R A C O N I C K G A M I N G, all one word. And yeah, Excellent. I've got a blog as well. You can find me at draconic.com. We've already mentioned that. Um, and I'm also in a bunch of other places. I'm on Patreon. I'm on Twitch. It's occasionally streaming stuff. I have a Discord server you can find links to. And I have products on DriveThruRPG and itch.io. So go look at those. I, I, I need to get my product on. on thing. <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah. Which, uh, we'll definitely, definitely look at... Um, like, I, I definitely like itch.io a lot. It's it's very good to it's to the people who create stuff there. Um, but you can put it in multiple places, if, depending on what you have. Depending on what you have. Nice. Like if the licensing that issue. But yeah. Well, excellent. Um, as I said, I will unfortunately have to wrap it up there as I need to get okay. back to doing that thing that I do to pay the bills. Um, Fair enough. I can be found on Twitter at uh, nerdy people. Oh, I always forget this. It's really embarrassing. Um, like I know my name and I know where I live. After that, you know, it's all it's all a blur. I got you. Yeah, Let me look you. up real quick. Um, I've got it. Uh, I can be found at nerdy people at nerdy people D and D. Um, and I'm just happy to have got through a whole interview where I don't mention Tyler. Damn. Well, you just did though, yeah. so. He's going to be listening to this, and that's going to blow his mind that I actually went that long. It's going to be great. <laughs> Excellent, Nick. Thank you very much for your time and your professionalism. Yep. Not a problem. Happy to be here. Cheers. And everyone, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Better Dungeons, Better Homes and Dungeons. Uh, if you know anyone that you think would be interested in coming along, hey, let me know. I'm open to pretty well anyone except terrible people. Um, the music that we use is from Incompetech because it's free and because I'm cheap. Um, everyone, take care of yourselves. Take care of your boards. Take care of your games. Take care of everything. Bye.